message this morning. We're going to step out of the book of Genesis for just today and step into the book of Acts. You may be familiar with the book of Acts. It's the story of the birth of the church. You may know that God in that book saved a man named Paul. Brian just read a letter written by Paul following his conversion to Christ. Paul played a huge part in the spread of the gospel. And in our text today, we meet Paul walking through the city of Athens. The art, the architecture is stunning. Athens is the intellectual center of the known world. And Paul is traveling the same streets as Aristotle and his teacher Plato and his teacher Socrates. And with every step Paul took, his heart quickened. His blood pressure rose. His anger grew. Because for all the culture, for all the intellect, this place was swamped with idols. The Roman author Petronius writes of Athens, it was easier to meet a god than a man. And the Bible says that Paul's spirit was provoked within him as he was observing a city filled with idols. Every idol showed a hunger for God. And every idol declared a spiritual vacuum. And Paul, if you know Paul by now, Paul cannot keep quiet. And Paul will not keep quiet. He takes his stand and he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I need to hear this sermon this morning. Because like Paul, you and I have much in common with the lost. I imagine we have more in common with them than we might think. You and I have common ground to share the gospel if only we would speak. With them we have the same dilemma. We have the same nature. We have the same God who made us all, both we and they. In fact, one of the lies that tends to extinguish our evangelism is this lie that we are not like them. Now, to be clear, there is some truth in that. The Bible tells us that you are a new creature. That all things are new. The New Testament will bear that out. But as you hear Paul's sermon, as you hear the gospel preached, take note his connections with the lost. This morning we will hear of common ground that we have both with the people around us and then together our connection with God. Our message comes from Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 22, it's called Paul's Sermon on Mars Hill. There are two different groups who have come out to listen to Paul in this sermon. They ask, what does this idle babbler wish to say? The Greek phrase literally means, what does this seed speaker have for us? It's kind of a cut. It's a backhanded way of saying, what is this guy speaking about? It depicts a bird walking around and pecking its seeds on the ground 
taking some, leaving others behind. It was almost as though Paul had gone around and picked up different pieces of information and concocted some strange, some strange brew and now feeds it to them. It's incoherent, but it's interesting. It's entertainment. In this group are a group called the Epicureans. These are philosophers of the day. They're pleasure seekers. They're concerned with stuff. They're concerned with the here and now. They're not completely abandoned to pleasure, not like some hedonists, but they do want to be free from any kind of pain, free from the worries of life, free from fear. They're not denying that gods exist, but they claim that these gods are far off. They would say that our task is to pursue pleasure and avoid pain. Many around us live this way today. Some of us used to live that way. The second group are the Stoics. You know this word, Stoic. They want to be self-mastered. They want to be self-sufficient. The gods determine what will be. We need to grin and bear it. Their task would be to endure life, to simply do the best we can. Many around us live this way today. Some of us used to live that way. In verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And here in this introduction resides our first point this morning. It's our common ground with people. Our common ground with people. We'll get to the heart of his message in just a moment. But Paul draws a connection with his audience. We are all religious. Verse 22, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. Now we know that Paul's audience was wrong. That they did not get God right. That they were destined for hell. But that's not where he began. Because he understood common ground. He called them very religious. Now to be sure, this is superstitious. You're overly meticulous. So what does he mean? Is he complimenting or is he angry? One observation, what could it mean? We, we know things like this. What does someone say? I see you got a haircut. Oh, can't go in really either direction. The context is going to determine the meaning. Perhaps Paul is angry. Perhaps Paul is complimenting them. Perhaps maybe he's both. The bottom line that he drives at is religion. We are all religious. And we might say that our religion is showing. It's the second point of contact that he makes with unbelievers. Verse 23, we all worship something. And you can see how this goes hand in hand with the first, with the first point. It's closely related. Because we are religious, we worship something. Our worship of something is that overflow or that outflow of the fact that we're religious. 
the Athenians could not help but show their religion. You would trip over it walking around the town. Paul is walking around, he's examining the objects of their worship. And he found an altar along the way. An altar would be where one would offer a sacrifice or place an offering. And you know the inscription, to an unknown God. Now, don't miss the irony of this. Athens is intellectual central. This is the type of place that you could place a Harvard beside a Yale, beside an Oxford, all in the same street. These Epicureans and these Stoics, these philosophers, are always exchanging new ideas. But here, in the midst of all of this, blares this inscription to an unknown god. Who do you worship? We don't know. They don't want to leave any god out. Thus the altar. They don't want to offend any god. If one god gets excluded, hopefully, this appeases that god. Hopefully. And because everybody is religious, we all worship something. It can be an idol. related, they underscore this point. You see the word unknown in verse 33, the Greek word sounds a lot like our word agnostic. So remote is their God that all he gets is an adjective. He's unknown. We don't know what else to say about it. Verse 33 again, the word ignorance. Here's the verb. You worship in ignorance. So he needed anything, 
Because he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live upon all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of habitation, that they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As he was told your poets have said, for we also are his offspring. overlooked these times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men, raising him from the dead. God creates, and God conducts, and God commands. God creates. God created the world. In verse 24, Paul declares the God. Not a God. It's a definite article. It is the God. It's the God who. Again, God is a person. He's not a thing. He's a who and not a what. He goes on. He's the God who made. He's a God who takes action. A God who is creating and forming and building. This is a God who is capable of activity. And he's a God who made the world. That's one big God. Paul calls him the Lord of, of heaven and earth. The creator God. Well, just how big is this God? Well, Paul says he does not dwell in temples made with hands. King Solomon in the old temple excuse me, the Old Testament made this beautiful temple unto God. And that, that, that dedication. Solomon himself had to say that, that, that the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain him. How much less this house that I've built. You see any kind of a temple or a church or a place? God, God is not confined there. We, we, we do not need to go there to find God. Which is why we can worship here this morning. You see, God resides not only at 2000 West North Street, we can worship God anywhere. Now, we may meet there because we need a place to gather, to, to obey God's command to gather. We need a place to get together to worship God, and we can keep God's people from Him. But at the same time, we know we can enjoy a relationship with God wherever we are. He's not confined or restrained by buildings. Paul goes on to say that he's not served by human hands as, as though he needed anything. He says that God alone is self-sufficient. And you and I, we're, we're dependent upon God. In some ways we were self-sufficient, in some ways we we're not, but at the end of the day we're dependent upon God for all things. He says that God gives to people life and breath.
forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you.
goal was to, to see how people responded to, to changes, or significant changes in a living condition. It was really interesting to hear, hear their, their experience, especially with pain and sleep cycles. Some thought that only 30 days had passed. Some people thought that 24 days had passed. But I think it's such a helpful picture of how the loss of living Each of us may receive what is 
all in the body, whether good or whether bad. And the command, the, the, the great climax is to repent. That is to turn from our sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. To change our minds about who Jesus is and who we are. And to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died, Jesus the Christ. You can imagine that responses to that message are mixed. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius and Areopagite and the woman named Damaris and others with them. Some people will sneer at this message, will ridicule it, will scoff at it. These Epicureans and Paul's audience, they were more concerned with pursuing pleasure. Hear you again, Paul. Maybe they're sincere, maybe they're not. But for certain, it's dangerous. It's foolish. Who among us knows if we will have it tomorrow? In fact, the Bible calls us to today. Today, not part of your heart. We don't know about tomorrow. It's uncertain. There's no guarantees. Lastly, some believe. Some enjoy Paul and they believe. They responded to the gospel message. They were made right with God through repentance and faith in Christ. In this message today, we saw many points of contact between us and the lost. I'd say we might have more in common with them than, than we might be led to believe. We're religious. We're all religious. The lost are religious. We worship something. They worship something. And God has created us. We live all of it in this history that he conducts. And all of our lives are upheld by him. And we know that God is nearby. God is nearby the lost as well. If only they would grow and to find our mind and what we have in common. Took his anger and he channeled it for the glory of God. 
who met his opposition on their field and he proclaimed Jesus Christ. There's no reason we can't do that. The mark the 21st century Christian it cannot be anger. We cannot be marked by anger. We can't be known by anger. And it can't be either the apathy and indifference that tends to plague the lives of many evangelical Christians. We need to be known for love. So as we look at the world around us, and we see, perhaps all too easily, the ways that it's wrong, the ways it's deceptively wicked, and the ways that the world is lost, don't forget the points of time. Remember love. And remember to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for Paul's boldness. Thank you for his love for the lost. Thank you for this sermon you've given us in the book of Acts. What an amazing message. I pray for us this morning, Lord, if there be any among us here who, who need to respond to Paul to repent and believe upon Jesus, Father, may today be the day of our salvation. And I pray also, Father, for our own evangelism, that you would give us also a boldness and a heart of love for the lost, that we would see opportunities and we would take them. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful message from Paul. Thank you for Jesus Christ, for his death and his resurrection. Thank you for this beautiful day that we can share it together. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.